given them as an opportunity to bring the message of Jesus into the workplace. Uh, We had a great retreat last year. This year, I believe, is going to be even better. Uh, Francis Chan, uh, a leading Christian author, is one of the speakers. Steve Green, the owner of Hobby Lobby, is going to be one of the speakers. Um, The owner, and his name escapes me right now, of Chick-fil-A is going to be one of the speakers. Believe it or not, there's a young lady who's going to be a speaker who is one of the one of the producers of Entertainment Tonight on, on television. I mean, I would have never thought that there was anybody like that uh, on, on a media like that. But she's going to be speaking. This is a great opportunity. And how, how many of you are grateful for the work that God has given you? You know, we may not think of our work in these terms all the time, but work is a great opportunity to bring worship to God just in the way that we do our job. I grew up with this work uh, ethic in my life, and it was this. Whatever you do, do it to the very best of your ability for God. You do it for the best of your, for your boss, too. But in doing so, you bring glory to God. And so this, this retreat is a, is a great opportunity to do that. It's, we're holding it on Saturday this year. Last year we had it on Friday and we felt like we were limited in the number of people who could attend because it was a work day. Uh, this year they, we, they are doing a live version of it on Friday, but we are choosing to do the taped version on Saturday uh, to allow for more people to have the opportunity to come. It's $30 per person. That includes pizza and snacks it will start at 8.30 on Saturday morning and will be done probably by 2 o'clock. Uh, they have breaks in the live version, and uh, since we're doing the tape version, we don't have to take advantage of all of those for as long as they do. So we'll be out of here probably by 2 or 2.30 in the afternoon. But I can promise you, if you'll make the effort to be a part of this, it will bless your heart. The people that were here last year were, were extremely blessed by what we heard, and, and so this Saturday, 8.30, if you'd like to register, you can go to www.workasworshipretreat.org. Or if you'd like for me to, worship, to register you, you can just give me a call and I'll go to www.workasworshipretreat.org. But it's definitely worth your time. Uh, make every effort to be here. Uh, please call me. All the, everything's included. Uh, you'll, you'll be blessed. So put that on your calendar for Saturday at 8.30. If you'll remember, I said last this Sunday I'm doing a, a sermon series within a sermon series. Uh, as part of our bigger sermon series, What a Disciple Looks Like, we've come to these three messages right in the center of this series uh, that I'm calling uh, what, what a Disciple's Heart Looks Like, Spiritual Growth. And today we're in part two of, of of this sermon series within a series, and, and, and we, we were talking last week about the disciples' heart in the process of, of spiritual growth, wherein we become, like the, the, the theme says, where we start looking more and more like Jesus. Um, we made the point that the first step is to allow Christ to touch our hearts. And the reason that it's necessary is that each of us are naturally born under the condemnation of sin, thus alienating us from God. Uh, And because of sin, we're all born 
so to speak, spiritually dead. We're unable to have fellowship with God who is the source of all life. And so every one of us comes eventually to that age of accountability where we realize that we have been alienated from God because of sin. And therefore we, we ask Christ into our hearts who, who restores us back to God and, and brings us back into fellowship with him. But it doesn't end there. Yes, we now have a relationship with God. Yes, we are, we are reconciled to God. But it doesn't need to end there because Christ's desire is that once we have come to him, that we begin to grow in his likeness and become more like him day after day and week after week. Um, without the ability to have God as being the source of our life, the only direction that's available to us is that which was provided by Satan. He's the one that influences the world that we were living that we live in. If you'll remember last week we talked about the idea that yes we are in the world but we are not of the world. We are not to be isolated from the world but rather be insulated by the power of God living in us as we live in the world. What's the deal with this intersection here? I just glanced out there and I thought, where did everybody go? Did, did something happen? <laughs> I'm sorry, Gary. Glory. <laughs> it, it's nothing personal, I promise. I, I, I promise. But let's get started. If you have your Bible app or you have your Bible, I'm going to be using, again, several different translations this morning. But I want to begin with <clears throat> Ephesians chapter number 2. And I want to use the amplified version to give you Paul's words in verses 1 through 3. There Paul says you were dead or slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually. You are following the course and fashion of this world, that is, you were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience. That is, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. Again, our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature. Obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. That describes very aptly the state that each of us were born into. We were born, I think it was the prophet Isaiah says, Without God or his son. Uh, we, were, we were lost for all intents and purposes. And, and being alienated from God, we were, uh, clear back in the book of Genesis chapter number 3, Moses wrote in verse number 15, we were at enmity with God. In other words, uh, because we were out of fellowship with God, there was a, a hatred relationship. Because God hates sin. But thanks be to God, he sent Jesus and restored us back into full fellowship. 
Now, last week we used as our main scriptural text Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. And I want us to go back there, uh, beginning with verse number 3. What I consider to be three of the most important verses for people who want their lives to begin reflecting God's glory in the way that they live their lives. Paul says in verse number 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, For although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way, since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, I want you to notice how Paul again describes the life of one who has not had his or her heart touched by Jesus. One, they are spiritually dead because of sin and their heart is darkened. Two, they are influenced by Satan through his power and influence in this world. Three, they live according to their physical or fleshly senses only, with Satan appealing first to their emotions, their emotions which influence their thoughts, and their thoughts which lead them to make choices consistent with the desires that Satan has for them. And then fourthly, they are objects of God's wrath, or we in our sin were objects of God's wrath, destined to live eternally separated from God. Can I just tell you that God doesn't want any of that for us? He he doesn't want us to have to be under that condemnation, and that's why he sent his son Jesus to reverse the effects of man's poor choices. Now, of course, we know that Jesus sacrificed his life on Calvary, and in doing so, he took care of this sin problem that we all had. And he made it possible for us, as the Apostle John says, he gives us this term, being born again. Jesus made it possible for us to be born again, that is, have a new life, to have our hearts touched by uh, his power and enlightened so that once again we have full fellowship with God as we were designed to do. Now just give, let me give you one more scripture text real quickly from the Apostle Paul found in Colossians chapter number 2 verses 13 and 14. Paul says, and when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Our sins, our transgressions are nailed to the cross of Christ and his blood has set us free. His blood has made us new creations in in our lives. Paul said the old has passed and the new has come. Aren't you thankful for that? So now that we're in a position 
to commune with God, we can live the life that God has designed for us to live, a life of purpose and meaning, a life of significance and victory. And a person, on the other hand, who's not allowed Christ to touch their heart, has no choice in how they live. We as children of God do. I'm thankful for that. We can choose to live life our own way, which will result in sin and broken fellowship with God, or we can choose to live life God's way. We can choose to allow ourselves to be led by Satan or led by God. We can choose to be influenced by the world or influenced by God's Word. We can choose to walk by our feelings or walk by our faith. We can choose to live like the devil or we can choose to live like Jesus. And that, my friends, is what disciples do. They seek to live like Jesus. And while those who have not allowed Christ to touch their hearts are naturally condemned to live life a life separated by God and, and they have no choice in the matter, the follower or the disciple of Jesus does. And Paul goes on to say that we can live as spiritual men and women or we can live as carnal or worldly men and women. Now, the problem with living as a worldly man or a worldly woman is that if you make that choice, you will not grow spiritually. Paul was talking about this when he talked to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 1. He said, brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Why? Because he identified them as being babies in Christ. Still on the milk of the word. Not able to receive or eat the milk of the word. Now, I don't know about you, but I like meat. Both, both spiritually and physically. I don't want to stay where, somebody, where I'm dependent upon somebody to feed me. I want to get to the place in my life where I can grow in the deeper things of God. That is the meat of God's Word. All of this being said, it's important for us to realize that a disciple is not only one who has allowed Christ to touch his or her heart, but more importantly, I believe, one who has allowed Christ to transform and change our hearts. And that, my friends, is a daily choice that every one of us as followers of Jesus have to make. Did you know that spiritual growth is a matter of choice? It's not up to God to grow you spiritually. That is every, each of our own decision to allow Christ to make us grow. Paul says in Ephesians 4... You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and you are being renewed by the Spirit, renewed in the Spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Now let me just digress here for a moment because I want to give you an illustration. How many of you remember the story from John chapter number 11? 
of Jesus' friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In John chapter number 11, Lazarus gets sick. And I mean really sick. And Jesus is up in the area of the Jordan River. He's up there teaching, and, and uh, that's a ways away. If you had a Bible map, you would see that that's some 60 miles away from where Bethany, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus resided. So when Lazarus gets sick, Mary and Martha, being believers in Jesus and his healing power, they send for, to give Jesus word of Lazarus' sickness, knowing that when Jesus gets the word that his friend Lazarus is sick, their hope is that he will instantly come and, and pray for Lazarus, and Lazarus will be healed. You remember the story? But if you go to John chapter number 11, and I don't have time to read it it's in, in its entirety, You'll find that they sent word to Jesus about Lazarus' illness. And Jesus remained in the area of the Jordan for two more days before then heading to Bethany, 60 miles away. Now, he didn't have Uber. So he had to walk to where Lazarus was. Let's, let's say Jesus is a fast walker. Maybe two, three days journey from the Jordan to Bethany. So now Lazarus has been sick in Jesus. Well, those who follow Jesus, Jesus already knew what was going on with Lazarus. We, we hear, know that in the story. Jesus didn't go because Jesus had a greater purpose in mind for what was going to happen with Lazarus. And so Jesus, not being confined by the restraints of time, he doesn't show up until Lazarus has died. As a matter of fact, Lazarus has not just recently died. He's been dead for four days when Jesus arrives. And you'll, you'll remember in the story... Mary and Martha expressed their disappointment with Jesus. They said, Jesus, if you had only come, our brother would still be alive. They were disappointed in Jesus due to his lack of urgency in response to their request for him to come while Lazarus was still alive. But Jesus not coming had a purpose. Jesus' purpose was to show that he had power over even the final death, the ultimate enemy of our lives, and that is death. Now, they didn't realize that. But when, as I said, when Jesus finally arrived in Bethany, Lazarus has already died and been in the tomb for four days. But keep in mind, Jesus has a bigger purpose, right? His purpose was to raise Lazarus from the dead. And in doing so, illustrate to Mary and Martha and those around who were the mourners that believed in Jesus that they would have not only hope of resurrection from the dead physically, but resurrection from the dead spiritually. Let me just read two verses from John chapter number 11 for you that will give us some context about what I'm talking about. Beginning with verse number 24. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Now listen to this. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. And then he asks, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Now, hold on with me here for just a second. In the same way that Jesus, in the verses that follow, told Lazarus to come out of that tomb, even though he'd been wrapped in grave clothes and in in the tomb for four days, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. What happened? Lazarus walked out of the tomb. Jesus had power over the physical enemy of death. But just as Jesus did with Lazarus in raising him from the dead, Jesus has come to where we were dead in our sins. And he has removed the barrier that separated us from eternal life, that is, spiritual death, because of our sins. And he has called us from death to life, from darkness to light. We are alive, but we need to see our grave clothes removed if we're going to live as Jesus has made it possible for us to live. There are a lot of believers in Jesus Christ who are, as it were, still walking around in grave clothes because they're not allowing the Spirit of God to make them more and more like Jesus. They're saved, their ticket is punched to heaven, but they're not doing anything with the life that they have here. They've taken care of the life that they're going to have after death. They've punched that ticket. They're saved. But they're not growing in Christ and being changed and transformed by Christ. In other words, they've allowed Christ to touch their heart, but they've not yet allowed Christ to transform their heart. Are you with me? I need you to be with me on this because I, I, I want you to understand what I'm saying to you. In John, that 11th chapter, Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, she's already expressing doubt. She says, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so they may believe you sent me. And after this, he said, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Now I want you to notice what Jesus said to them. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Jesus is saying to a lot of Christians who, who have been saved, you need to take the grave clothes off. And be set free 
and experience the freedom that the Son has provided for you, he who has been set free is free indeed. So walk, therefore, in the liberty that you have been called into. This is hugely important because it's the key to our spiritual growth. Jesus' words to Mary and Martha indicate that he was trying to treat, teach them that there's not just a physical resurrection from the dead. There also has to be a spiritual renewal that will be to the key to living a, a spiritual resurrection from the past life. Again, are you with me? Ephesians 4.23, Paul said, you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. He said in Romans 12, verse number 2, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And from my, this main text in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 that we read from earlier, we discover that there are two things that are involved in this idea of having our minds renewed. Now here's where I'm going to depart from the Scripture for a week, okay? The first of those things involved in the renewing of our mind, and I'm, the one that I'm going to deal with today, is what I want to call correcting our stinking thinking. Correcting our stinking thinking. Now, the reason I'm using that term is because it's the term that I used with inmates in prison ministry. How many of you would agree with me this morning that a convict's thinking needs to be changed and that it stinks? Well, so does most of ours. We have a lot of stinking thinking that needs to be corrected as well. Now, if you look at the latter part of that verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, it says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, as I said, I'm going to focus the rest of my time this morning on this thought of correcting stinking thinking. I'll, I'll deal with verse 4 and the beginning part of verse 5 next week when I talk about conquering our personal strongholds. And the reason I'm departing from the scriptural order for this morning and talking about the stinking thinking rather than being loose from the strongholds is for this reason. You can't hope to be loose from strongholds unless your stinking thinking is corrected first. There's no use in trying to tear down any personal strongholds in your life unless your stinking thinking has been changed. Uh, let me give you three things regarding the correcting of stinking thinking. What does it mean to have my mind renewed? It means that since I have a new life to live, I need to learn how to live it. Let me give you an illustration. If a person has been driving a Volkswagen Beetle and trades that Volkswagen Beetle for a Mercedes-Benz, you're not going to operate the Mercedes-Benz by following the old Volkswagen owner's manual. Does that make sense? Now let me just elaborate on that for a moment. You'll consult the Mercedes-Benz owner's manual to see how to operate your new Mercedes. 
Likewise, the new life that we have in Christ isn't lived according to the wisdom of our prior life. All, all, everything that has to do with our previous life has now become worthless. And you need to start consulting your new owner's manual. The B-I-B-L-E. Basic instruction before leaving earth. You can't continue to live according to the world's owner's manual. You have to live by God's owner's manual. And secondly, renewing my mind means that I live each day, are you ready for this, with a repentant spirit. The Greek word for repentance is a word called metanoia. It literally means to change one's mind. So when we allow Christ to touch our heart, heart, that decision... That coming to Christ involved repentance, right? Lord, I've been living my life going this way. I repent of going this way, and I want to start going this way with your help. That's repentance. That's why Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. If Jesus is in your heart, and Jesus is your teacher, and you are the follower then you need to start following like the teacher leads. Right? In other words, if we're going to allow Christ to now transform our hearts and not just touch our hearts, we need to be willing, thirdly, to change our minds about everything. Let me give you an example from Scripture. Galatians chapter number 3. Verse number three, and to, to illustrate this to you, I'm going to use the translation, not the translation, the, the, uh, the message isn't a translation, the, the message is a paraphrase, okay? But I'm going to use the message paraphrase. There, Paul says this, are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you, if you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Now maybe I just ought to let you marinate on that for a while while I move on. What are the now, secondly, the benefits of renewing my mind? And I find that there are four main benefits. First, renewing of my mind leads me toward a lifestyle of purity. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word or God's word. He goes on to say in verse number 11, and we were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. I learned this verse somewhere between the ages of 5 to 10 years old in Sunday school. And all through my teenage years, whenever I was contemplating doing something stupid, which was pretty often, something sinful, pretty often, the words that I memorized somewhere between the ages of 5 and 10 would come to my awareness. And I'm going to tell you, give it to you the way I learned it in the King James Version. Thy word 
have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. That verse has been in my heart and on my mind for nearly 60 years. The psalmist then writes in Psalm 51, 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inner being. Make me therefore to know wisdom in my inmost heart. There are three basic kinds of sin. Sins that are overt or obvious blatant sins. And we've all committed some of them. There are also sins of the tongue, which by the way, most of us, if not all of us, have also committed. And there are also sins of the mind. Now here's the way it works. When I blatantly commit an obvious sin, I've also sinned in my mind. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Again, King James. When I commit a sin with my tongue, I've also sinned with my mind. A good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. Jesus said an evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom. For his heart speaks, or for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Here's the way I learned it. Whatever a man thinks, so is he. Right? Dr. James Dobson tells a story about a family that lived in the northeast part of the country. And it took place in the bitterly cold part of winter, much like now. And and this this family had a car that had become especially dirty with road salt and and frozen slush and and other wintry deposits. You know, in the the big city, if you've ever been in the big city in the wintertime and you have a snow, uh, it's not going to be white on your car. It's going to have smog attached to the snow, and when it attaches to your car, your car's dirty, okay? And, and so, conscious of the condition of their car being dirty, this family was driving down the road, and they came across an unusual sight. Water was gushing into the air from a broken pipe underneath the street, beneath the surface of the road. Well, a road crew had just arrived on the scene, and they were just getting ready to set up to begin fixing the leak. But simultaneously, the driver of the car, the dad of this family, decided that this was the perfect opportunity for a car wash. And so he pulled the car far enough forward to park under the shower of water being emitted from this leaking pipe underneath the surface of the road, And the road crew watched, and they were somewhat puzzled and a little amused at the sight. It was still bitterly cold, and the driver of the car left the engine running and kept the heater going as well. And in a short time, the family noticed a rather unpleasant odor beginning to fill the car. And it was about this same time that the dad, the driver, noticed that the water which was running down the windshield was not clear. In fact, it wasn't clear at all. And finally, Dad understood the problem. They were not parked under the shower of a broken water main. They were under the shower of a broken sewer main. Quickly they departed, watching the filthy matter freeze to their car in the bitter cold of that day. 
Now, why did I tell you that disgusting story? Because a lifestyle of purity is needed to wash the filth, the stinking thinking, out of our minds. You can't expect to get rid of stinking thinking when you continually park over a broken sewer main. Are you with me? Secondly, renewing my mind will lead me to discover my identity. You know what straight Satan's strategy is? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We went back to the gen, uh, book of Genesis where God had told him not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And um, Eve told the serpent, God said, if we eat from that tree, we're going to die. And you remember what Satan said? He said in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, no, you're not going to die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, showing or knowing good and evil. That's Satan's strategy. Hear God's correction to his strategy. It's found in Romans 8, beginning with verse number 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. It will lead you to discover who you are. And I'll just say this and I'll move on to the next point. The greatest crisis in the church of 2019 is God's people not understanding who they are. Not understanding who they are in Christ. You are heirs of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And if you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ and heirs of God, you need to start acting like God's children. Point number three, renewing my mind will lead me to live with a sense of security. Again, Satan's strategy, the same verse. He said, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes are going to be open and you'll be like God and you'll know between good and evil. Here's how God corrects that. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And then he says in Ephesians 3, I pray that God may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, the height and the depth of God's love. He says in Romans 8, 37, In all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing, will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, my friends, is a sense of security. Nothing Nothing can separate you from him. Fourthly, let me give you my translation of that. It doesn't matter if I'm called to suffer, whether I'm called to sacrifice, or whether I'm called to be stretched in my faith. 
I'm secure in whose I am. That's why I can step out in faith. That's why you can step out in faith. Because you belong to Jesus. And all things are possible to him that believes. Fourthly, renewing your mind will lead you to fulfill your destiny. It's been said that when Jesus walked on this earth that he lived his life with nothing to hide. He was pure in his lifestyle. He lived his life with nothing to prove because he knew who he was. He also lived his life with nothing to lose. He was secure in his heavenly Father's love. Friends, that is how God wants us to live. And as we do, we can experience the fulfillment of our eternal destiny even while here. As we live like Jesus. And let me close with this thought. What must I do then to renew my mind? Well, first you have to surrender to the Spirit of God. Remember what I said earlier? Spiritual growth is up to you. It's up to me. God can't grow you up. You have to allow the Spirit of God to work in you to make you more like Jesus. You have to surrender to God's Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you this morning are fully cleansed from all unrighteousness? And don't you dare raise your hand. He's still working on us. Every one of us. Not until we see him face to face are we going to be completely like him. His spirit is working in us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Secondly, I have to study God's word. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 that we have the mind of Christ we are able to understand and, and, and to appropriate the Word into our lives. Thirdly, this is a huge one. Thirdly, in order to renew my mind, I have to continually surround myself with the people of God. You know what? I talked a lot about the stinking thinking of those inmates. And when Brenda and I... We're in the church for the inmates coming out of prison. <laughs> their day would come. The day of their release would come. And Brenda and I would be sitting there waiting in our car for them to walk out of those prison doors for the last time. And Brenda would have a great big old freedom cookie. Let me tell you what, friends. Inmates love homemade cookies. And Brenda would make each of them a big old freedom cookie. We made, she made hundreds of them over the course of those years. And we'd give them their freedom cookie. Many times we'd take them to wherever they were going to be going, whether it was to a halfway house or to their home or, or wherever. But before we'd let them go, we would have a conversation with them. And this is what the conversation would be. They have to do three things. One, they have to change their playgrounds, they have to change their playmates, and they have to change their playthings. Two, they have to change their stinking thinking from walking in the flesh to walking in the Spirit. And thirdly, 
they must surround themselves with Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving people who will hold them accountable for their actions. Now, here's why we told them that. And I've seen it happen a thousand times if I've seen it happen once. If they don't do each and every one of those three things, the chances of them remaining free and staying out of prison are between slim and none. Let me just go over those three things again. First, you must change your playgrounds, change your playmates, and change your playthings. In other words, you can't go dabble in what you used to dabble in before you got sent to prison. That's all got to change. And by the way, those, those words weren't original to me. You know where those words came from? Those words came from the leading criminologist in the United States of America. His name is Stanton Seminal. He wrote that in his book, that unless an inmate changes their playground, their playmates, and their playthings, there's not a ghost of, of a chance of them surviving in freedom. Secondly, we told them that they have to change their stinking thinking. Not letting the flesh control them, but letting the Spirit of God control them. And thirdly, and this is where most of them fall flat on their face, you have to surround yourself with people who believe in the Bible, who have experienced the love of Jesus, who will love you and hold you accountable for your actions. They get out of prison, and many of them within six weeks, they'd be back to the same playgrounds, playmates, and playthings. They'd be governed by what their flesh desired. And they'd quit coming to church. They'd quit coming to Pastor Terry's church. And so when they get arrested for their thinking, thinking again, guess who's the first phone call they make? Many of them at 2 and 3 in the morning. Pastor Terry, I'm in jail. I don't know what went wrong. Bonehead, what did I tell you? You didn't do what I told you you needed to do. And so you find yourself right back where you've always been, enslaved to fleshly thinking. And lest you were wondering, the truth is the same for every one of us who are not felons. You have to start walking in the Spirit. If there are things that still have a hold of you, that used to have a hold of you before you came to Christ, you better get rid of them. Because as we're going to talk about next week, before too long, they're going to become a stronghold again in your life. You say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing everything that I used to do. No, but you're doing some of the things that you used to do, and in doing so, you're letting Satan have a foothold that's soon going to become a stronghold. And thirdly, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do you have to go to church to go to heaven? No. But if I were you, I wouldn't take the chance. Because I know how much I need it. 
And if I need it, I just have a pretty good idea. You need it too. Finally, in order to renew my mind, I have to share the message of God. A very seldom read book in the New Testament, a seldom read letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a man whose name was Philemon. Remember that book? Philemon. Doesn't even have chapters. It has one chapter. And in verse number 6, Paul says to Philemon, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective, knowing through knowing every good thing that is in us is for the glory of Christ. You see, Philemon was a former slave. He, he said, no, that's all right. Thank you. He said, Paul, or he said, Philemon, you need to start sharing the good news of where God brought you from to where you now are. I, I, I keep going back to that, that second verse of Romans 12, the one that says we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let me just quickly explain that word transform to you just a little bit more. It comes from a Greek word that's called, and you've heard of it, metamorphosis. Now, when I say the word metamorphosis, what do you think of? You think of a butterfly who, through the process of metamorphosis, or you think of a, a, a caterpillar who, through the process of metamorphosis, becomes a beautiful butterfly. Paul is telling us that we now have this new life in us, and we need to learn how to live it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let a metamorphosis take place and make you from what you used to be into the beautiful being that Christ wants you to be. When Jesus walked the earth, John told us in John chapter 1, verse 14, He was the Word made flesh, right? Through the process of the renewing of our mind, God's Word and God's truth will be fleshed out in us. In other words, what's taken place inside of us will become apparent to everyone if we allow the Spirit of God to do His desired work from the inside out. Yeah, I know that was a strange song, but you know why we sang it? Because I used to hear several hundred inmates raise their voice singing that song. Now, to them, the inside was different than what we are talking about this morning. But it meant the same thing. From the inside out, my soul cries out. Lord, change me from glory to glory. Let your truth become apparent. They, they wanted to be empowered and enabled to live a life that was different from the one that got them where they were. And again, same is true for every one of us. Musicians, would you come please?
Folks, again, this is, this is theology 101. This is as basic. I, I, I believe that, you know, sometimes we have muddied the waters in, in getting people to understand what God wants us to, wants to do in our lives. This is making it as clear and as easy and biblical as I can possibly make it. He not only wants to touch your heart, He wants to transform your heart. Those of you who have grown up in a church much like I have, I'm sure that you, again, like me, have seen people who will come and respond to an invitation to come to Jesus in salvation, saving faith. And they'll come and they'll, they'll ask Jesus into their heart and they'll go and the next week the invitation's given, they come back and ask Jesus into their heart. And the week after that, come back and ask Jesus into their heart. They've been touched. Their heart's been touched by Jesus. But do you know why they keep coming back week after week? To ask Jesus to come into their heart? Because they're not allowing him to transform and change their heart. They're still the same person for all intents and purposes. They just have a heart that's been touched by the message of Jesus. What I'm telling you this morning is he not only wants to touch your heart, he wants to transform your heart. He wants to change your life in such a radical way that you'll not ever, ever, ever be enslaved to that old way of life again. Would you stand with me, please? Now, next week, we're going to talk about destroying the strongholds. And I'll just give you a little snapshot of that. Many times, the reason our minds can't be transformed and renewed is because we keep going back to the same old slop that we came out of. I just don't know else how to say it. Those things that have become strongholds in our lives. And we're going to talk about how to, how to tear those things down. But the reason we'll be able to tear them down is because our stinking thinking has been affected today. Our stinking thinking that keeps us in its grip, that keeps us from walking in the Spirit, that keeps us away from those old things that used to have such a hold on us, the things that separate us from the body of Christ that wants to love us and hold us accountable and help us to grow. Those are the things that establish strongholds. Can I just say this to you as a part of that next Sunday's message? How many of you notice that if you miss church one or two weeks in a row, it's really easy on the third week to miss again? How many of you figured out why? I'm not saying you're sinning by not coming to church. I'm saying that those things that you do that allow the spirit of the enemy to get just a, a little toe in the door, if you, don't, if you aren't careful, before too long he's going to kick the door down and he'll become a stronghold. And I can tell you this, friends, the Holy Spirit is not going to share his, his dwelling place with the enemy of your souls. You can't have it both ways. 
You'll either love God and hate the world or you'll love the world and hate God. Lord Jesus, go before us. In the power of your Holy Spirit at this moment, search hearts. God, you already know. You already know the ones that need to hear the words of this message. Lord, there's a lot of stinking thinking that now still needs to be corrected in my own heart. And I know that there are in the lives of your people. Lord, stinking thinking that affects us in areas like gossip and unforgiveness. God, I could go on and on. We, we rationalize and we tell ourselves, well, hey, if I don't forgive somebody, or if I forgive somebody, I'm letting them off the hook. When the reality is, they've never been on the hook. We have. That's stinking thinking, God, and it needs to be corrected in us. And when we do that, God, we can tear down everything that keeps us from walking in full fellowship as a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, whose purpose in life is to become more and more like their leader. Holy Spirit, search the hearts of this congregation this morning. Jacob, lead us in that first verse, and then we'll, take, we'll, we'll do something else.